Welcome to the C3 Coffs Harbour podcast. Today's message is a recording from our online service. To join our online church community, visit c3ch.online.church and you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Enjoy the message. We are, if you, if you are new or if this is your first time in a, in a while being here, um, we are in a, a series called The Standard, there it is, um, looking at the Sermon on the Mount, the teachings of Jesus from Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7. Um, essentially, the, the, the theme, the idea behind this series is this, that all of us have standards that we live by. All of us have things and sources that inform the way we think, inform the way we behave, and inform the, the, the lifestyle that we would subscribe to. My challenge for you is, what are those things that create your worldview? What are those sources that you draw upon that shape the way you think and shape the way you behave? And are those things reliable for you to live a life of flourishing? Or do they keep you selfish and bound and isolated from people? Or do they bring out the best in you that God himself would have for you? And so when we challenge those presuppositions, when we challenge those sources that we draw upon, whether it's media, whether it's past experiences, whether it's uh, relationships, whether it's how we view ourselves or what's been spoken over us, whatever it is, even religion can form our worldview, I want us to challenge those things and realize that we're not going to live the fullness of life that Jesus promises us unless he becomes the standard. Because when this is our catch crows for the whole series, when Jesus becomes the standard, we become disciples. That's how it works. So he must become the standard. So we're looking at what that standard is. What did Jesus teach? His first message, he gets up, preaches to a bunch of people, and starts the Sermon on the Mount. And so today we're looking at Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, where midway through the Beatitudes, the, the blessings, the blessed life. So here we go. Matthew 5, verse 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, Jesus um, would often talk about this concept called righteousness. And in fact, in the very next chapter, he's going to touch on it again. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, we get that famous passage we all know so well. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. So it's, it's a common theme, right? So Jesus talks about righteousness. Matthew 5, 6, we're seeing it here. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They'll be satisfied. The next chapter, seek first the kingdom of heaven and, my, and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. It's a common theme. The Apostle Paul talks about righteousness all throughout his writings. Romans in particular is flooded with the theology around righteousness. And he also mentions in Galatians 6.14 to um, instruct us to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Put on the armor of God. Galatians 6 is awesome. But this, this particular item is the breastplate of righteousness. And what does a breastplate do? No surprises, it protects our vital organs, in particular our heart. And why is it important to protect our heart? Well, if you were part of our church last year, you would have been part of our Above All Else series, looking at Proverbs 4.13, which says, Above all else, guard your heart. Why? Because all the issue of life come out of it. And how do we guard our heart? Breastplate of righteousness? Well, how do we put that on? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? What does that look like? It means hunger, having a hunger and a thirst for the righteousness of God. 
when we do that, we protect our heart. When we protect our heart, then we, we monitor what goes in and then what comes out should be that that brings glory to God, good to others, and joy to ourselves. That is the blessed life. And that is why Jesus must be the standard for us to live the life that he would have for us, a life that is to the full. Okay, so let's look at what this righteousness is. Righteousness plays a major significant role in New Testament theology. And so I'm going to turn a little bit Bible college on you for just a moment as we unpack what righteousness is, and in particular what it is in this sense. The simplest way I've heard righteousness described, and I, I agree with this in, in this particular aspect, is right standing with God. Someone who is righteous has right standing with God. They have the ability to connect with God, have a relationship with God. They are, they're okay. They're good. Jesus and God and, and, and man, we're tight. That's what righteousness means. Romans 3, 23, 22-23 says this, The righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. Right? So righteousness that comes from God comes to us through faith in Christ Jesus and then there is no distinction for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God and all are justified by his grace, which is a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now that is, that is such a rich passage. Those two verses are so dense with truth, it's, it's ridiculous. And essentially what it's saying is because of Christ and our faith in him, we are made right with God. That all of us are on an evil play, even playing field. And an evil playing field, there we go. Um, truth be told. And there is no distinction. Christianity is not an exclusive religious worldview for those who are cool enough, good enough, who God likes. No, no, it's for all who believe. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And God's love is for all people. He sent His Son into the only world, so whoever shall believe in Him. It's absolutely inclusive. The only thing exclusive about it is Jesus is the only access point. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the standard for us to live the life that God calls us to live. So, righteousness is positional. We are no longer strangers or enemies to God, but we are actually adopted into God's family. And we read about that in Galatians 4. It talks about this adoption into God's family. So, I want to explain how this works a little bit. I'm going to grab Cameron to come and be my little assistant. You're going to play Exhibit A, Random Dude Becomes Christian. Okay. I'm just distracted by your very attractive legs there, Cameron. <laughs> That's awesome. So Cameron is amazing. So Cameron, um, just a regular dude going about his life, uh, doing stuff. Cameron then decides that um, he's going to have faith in Jesus and follow him. Right, that's the starting point, right? That we all know that that's pretty basic how the Christian faith works is somebody starts to believe in Jesus and follow him. That's how it works. However, little side note, the only reason Cameron can have faith in Jesus and can follow Jesus is first because of the initiation of the Holy Spirit to illuminate the presence and reality of God in his heart for him to respond to. And that's why salvation is not our, of our own doing, but it's a free gift that God bestows upon us when the Holy Spirit awakens our spirit to see his reality. And then we choose whether we follow him. So Cameron chose, he's had faith, he's followed, so he takes one step. The next thing that happens is Cameron is justified, um, which means he becomes more like me. 
sorry, not justified, that's wrong, that's justified. Um, so, so he, <laughs> thank you, thank you very much, thank you. I'll be here all morning. It only gets better, trust me, it only gets better. Hopefully. Um, so he's had faith, he's followed Jesus. Now, what happened, this, this is a very quick succession of what happens, he's justified. So again, people would say this in a very succinct way, like, just as if I'd never sinned, which is, which is true. So basically, he's made clean and whole. His sins have been forgiven. He is what, what we would call born again. He has left his old life, chosen to follow Jesus, which means he has been justified by the forgiveness of his sins and made brand new, which is awesome. Then the next thing that happens is, yep, big, there it is, beautiful, always oh, bigger step, um, is he's made righteous, he now has right standing with God. Him and God are, are, are tight. He can access the throne room of heaven. He can have a relationship with God. He can hear the voice of God. He can engage with scriptures. He can worship God freely. He doesn't need a mediator between him and God. He can connect with God himself because of what Jesus has done. And this process happens real quick. When the Holy Spirit awakens someone's heart to his reality, they choose to believe, they're justified and forgiven of their sins, they've made righteous in God's sight, that's, that's a really quick process. Now the next step, yep, is sanctification. This is a lot longer, this is a lifetime process, the sanctification process. This is where Cameron starts to um, have all the sharp edges sort of sanded off his life he starts to be molded in the image of God he starts to work on his discipleship put in dis spiritual disciplines in place that we looked at last year to, to grow in, in in his discipleship and following Jesus and and learn to really what it is to to lay down the flesh because the, the the flesh is weak but the spirit is willing and so this sanctification process is what now takes place for the rest of his life this this stuff here the the faith that leads to justification which leads to righteousness that's positional now this becomes far more practical in the outworking. He already is who he is in Christ. This is set, done, sealed. He doesn't have to earn for this anymore. He already is a child of God. Ephesians 6, 4, he's already adopted into God's family. He now has to work that out and be sanctified in his growing, uh, in his Christ-likeness to Jesus. Does that make sense? No. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll try and make it a little bit clearer, but that's all I need from you, Cameron. So thank you so much. You are amazing, <laughs> sanctified man. So when we read Matthew 5, verse 6, which says, hunger and thirst for righteousness, we can default to a workspace theology which is like, well, I've got to have this hunger and thirst and desire to be right standing with God. But that's not true. We don't earn our salvation. It's a free gift for all who believe. That's, that's talking positionally. That, that rightness with God that we now have after having faith in Jesus is, is rightfully ours and nothing can take that away. That's who we are. Signed, sealed, delivered. I'm yours, baby. That's it. Done. So when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, it's not this positional righteousness. It's more of a practical righteousness about being right with God and having the rightness of God in us. So in a sense, this righteousness that we're talking about in Matthew 5, 6 is not so much as, as it is about justification as it is more so about sanctification. So blessed are those who hunger and thirst for this sanctification process. Here's a simpler way. Let's just substitute the word righteousness out for holiness. And we're getting pretty close to what Jesus is saying here. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for holiness this sanctification process, this growing more in the likeness of Jesus, for they will be satisfied. 
That's what we're talking about when we talk about Matthew 5, verse 6. So hunger and thirst. I'm looking around the room, you're all human. So at some point, you've had a hunger and a thirst. So you understand those two things. Uh, I have three children and um, I know what it is when kids get hungry. I know what it is when they get thirsty. And the thing what I've realised about hunger and thirst, it's, it's, not, it's not passive. It's not indifference. Like when I'm hungry or when I'm thirsty, I don't go, hmm, I suppose I could, I could go for something to eat. If I'm, like my mouth is super dry, I'm not passive or indifferent about whether I have a glass of water or not. Like I've been on like 26 kilometre mountain bike treks way out to the middle of nowhere and ran out of water. I can tell you, when I get thirsty, I don't care what is in front of me, I am just going to gulp that down like there's no tomorrow. Because to be hungry and to have thirst talks about drive and desire. You need those things in order to be satisfied. There is a dissatisfaction inside of you that can only be quenched by having something to eat or having something to drink, physically speaking. And so Jesus is talking about this is what must be, it must be like for us on a spiritual level, that we must have this hunger and thirst for righteousness or holiness in order to be truly satisfied. My observation, observation is, well, let me ask a question. Do you see a spiritual hunger and thirst in your life for holiness? Do you see a desire and a drive in the church for holiness? Because here's, here's my observation. I would say at best, we're probably peckish. Oh, I can go a bit of holiness if it was offered. I mean, I'm fine. I'm okay. But I guess I'm a Christian, so I probably should choose to be a nicer person. I suppose I should have a little sip of holiness from now on just to sort of pep myself up, but really I'm fine. And here's, here's where I get worried because I think well, here's what happens in the church. We, we, can, we can get so full on feeding on what the world offers us, which is to satisfy our flesh, that we have this bloatedness in our spirit that makes us think that we're full, but we're actually not. We're feeding on the wrong things. And we actually have an intolerance to sin that we don't realize. And we've got to stop consuming the philosophies of this world and the standards of this world and feed on the Word of God, which is the only thing that can truly satisfy us and live our life as, with Jesus as the standard because that's when we become disciples, not when I'm the standard, what I think should be right, what I think should... It's Jesus must be the standard in order for us to be disciples. Around 60 AD, Apostle Paul writes a letter to um, a young church leader called Timothy. Timothy... Um, in his 20s, um, if, if you have an issue with mega churches, then you have an issue with scripture. Um, it's estimated that Timothy could have had anywhere between 20 to 60,000 people he was responsible for in his pastorate in his 20s. Crazy. A lot of responsibility. So the Apostle Paul writes a couple of letters to encourage him and build him up in his leadership and in his strength. And so we see this particular passage in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that if I've ever read a prophetic word for now, it's this. And I'm going to read through this and, and you tell me 
if you go, oh dear, that sounds like today. And if, and if you don't believe me, then as I'm reading this, open up like, if you've got like a, a, a news app on your phone, like Google News or something like that, open that up and scroll through the articles and see if these things get ticked as you scroll through your news feed. Here we go, 2 Timothy 3 verse 1. But understand this, in the last days, which is as, as we get nearer and nearer to the return of Christ, so technically from the time he ascended, it's been last days, so as the day approaches of Jesus' return, there will come times of difficulty. Uh, I'm pretty sure that today's time is a time of difficulty. Um, what else happens? Well, people will become lovers of themselves. Thank you, Instagram. It only hurts if you know. They'll become lovers of money. Proud. Arrogant. Abusive. Disobedient to their parents, which is this rejection of authority. You can't tell me what to do. I'll do what I want. It's in the last days, this is what people are going to do and, and turn out like. They'll be ungrateful, selfish, entitled. You could probably extrapolate out that ungratefulness to be entitled. I should. This is what I deserve. Mm. Unholy, heartless. Doesn't really sound good, does it? I mean, this is probably, sounds very condemning. It'll get better, trust me. I just, but it just, this proves my point. Unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit or unteachable, unable to be taught. They know it all. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. In other words, I tick the box of Christian, but I have my fleshly appetite satisfied by what the world offers me, so I appear to be godly, but I deny its power because I'm not eating and drinking from the well of life, I'm drinking from the well of this world and the pleasures of the flesh. And so I might feel full and satisfied, but I'm actually not because I'm drinking from the wrong well, I'm eating from the wrong table. I have a form of godliness. I appear godly, but deny its power. To me, that is a stunning prophecy of 2020, 2021. This is the current life we're living. And the thing that, that captures me, in the last days, people will become. Now, the standard of the world is this. This is normal, because there, there are no standards, whatever you feel like doing. So, so Paul is saying, the church is not exempt from this. These characteristics in the last days are going to infiltrate the, the church. They're going to permeate the church. They're going to reject holiness and pursue the satisfaction of the flesh. They're going to pursue their own desires. This is what's going to happen. But when we hunger and when we thirst for holiness, we starve the immaturity in us that allows ourselves to be satisfied with secondhand spirituality. We starve the selfishness inside of us 
that doesn't want to do the hard work of seeking God daily, of denying self and taking up cross. That's what it means to hunger and thirst for holiness and righteousness. Or if you want it more succinctly, Peter writes this in 1 Peter 1.15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. That's pretty clear. In other words, Jesus is the standard by which life ought to be lived because he is the creator of all things. Therefore, live your life in such a way that he is the standard by which you measure yourself, by what you find acceptable and unacceptable. So, as we come to an end, let's reflect on our life. We talked this, just before about worship, about making room for God. What does making room for more holiness look like in our world? Where have we allowed pockets of unholiness? Where have we allowed some of the things from um, 2 Timothy to sneak into our attitudes and our worldview? So here's some questions. What would holiness look like in our marriages? If Jesus is the standard, if we are to be holy as he is holy, what but Jesus wasn't married. It's true. But he's the husband to the bride of Christ. Well, he's the groom to us, the bride. So how does Jesus treat the church? Well, he laid his life down for it, right? So what does holiness look like in your marriage? It means laying your life down for your wife or your husband to serve them. What does holiness look like in your workplace? Jesus is the standard. What does that standard look like for you when you go to work tomorrow? In your business dealings. Got plenty of business owners in this church. And I love that. I love an entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial spirit. However, what does holiness look like in those business dealings? Would Jesus smile upon those handshake deals or those signed contracts or the way you treat people? What does holiness look like in our everyday relationships? What, what does holiness look like in our daily habits and personal behaviors? What does holiness look like in our sexuality? Well, you can't talk about that. You're not woke. Yeah. I've been awake longer than woke's been woke. What does holiness look like in your physical health? A body's a temple of the Holy Spirit, right? Think about that. Our emotional health. Our spiritual health. Like, we spent three months last year in our Above All Else series going through spiritual disciplines. But seriously, how many of those have we actually put into our life? How many of those have we gone, yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast on a regular basis to seek God and be in His presence? I'm going, to, I'm going to institute the Sabbath every week to give my life the refreshment it needs to, to be with God for one whole day and rest and relax and enjoy creation. How, how many of us have gone through those things and gone, well, that sounds great, but that's so ideal. I'm busy. I've got stuff on. I've got a family. I've got... Well, are we bringing holiness into our emotional life? Are we bringing holiness into our spiritual life? And we see all of these answers to what it would look like in Jesus because he is the standard. 
if we truly are disciples. Mark Sayers says this. Uh, this is from the book that we're going to be doing in our short courses starting this uh, Tuesday night. He says, God is holy and so are His dwelling places. His temples, our lives, the church, creation must be filled with His holiness. Renewal cannot come without holiness. God wishes to rid His temples of what does not please Him. Martin Lloyd-Jones comments on this particular passage and says, To hunger and thirst for righteousness is nothing but the longing to be positively holy. Choosing to pursue holiness is choosing to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not the righteousness that's surrounded by justification, that tells us who we are in God's family. That position's been set. It's, it's the, righteousness, the, the righteousness that's far more practical, that leans more towards our sanctification process than our justification. And when we pursue this kind of holiness, when we pursue this righteousness of growing in the image of God, when we pursue Jesus being the standard in every area of our life, that's when we become disciples. And that's when we are blessed. He promises, blessed are those Whoever, whoever decides to pursue, to hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed. What does blessed mean in this particular context? It means divine peace and perfect happiness. And then what happens at the end? There's a double promise. First promise is blessed if you do it. And then the result of that practice of, of hungering and thirsting for righteousness is what? We will be satisfied. And we are born in this world with a, with a, a dissatisfaction in us. That there's this, this drive to, to have more, to be more, to, to this discontentment. But godliness with contentment is great gain because that's where God wants us to be. Satisfied by Him and only Him. And that's when we start to live the life where God gets glorified because it's not about our doing. It's about Him. He has set us free. He has... He, done all these things for us we just choose to realign ourselves with what he has for us and then he'll bless us and so he gets the glory and because we're living this life that he has called us to live as the standard we're following after him that means good for those around us and then the byproduct of that is joy in our soul which is this blessed life which is this divine joy which John 10 talks about it's amazing so my question for us today as we finish, what's your standard? We've all got standards. What is yours? For so long, my standard's been my preference. Till I realized that I'm an idiot and don't know much. And my standard means I'll do whatever it takes to make my life better. But Jesus' standard is, I'll do whatever it takes to make others' lives better. Because it's no longer I who live, right? I take up my cross daily. I take up my mission. I take up Jesus' standard. And now I live the blessed life as a, as a disciple. 
So I don't want anyone to go home today the same way they came in. Also, I don't want anyone to go home today feeling condemned, feeling like they're not good enough, feeling like they're, oh man, I just don't cut it. I need to get better. I need to do better. I need to be a better person. Just take baby steps, hey? Let's, let's start with the big things. Let's start with some of the areas where it's pretty out of whack. We need to pull that in the line. Let's start with loving our wives better. Let's start with treating our staff better. Let's just start there. Because this, our positional stuff is quick. Holy Spirit reveals Himself. We have faith. We follow. We are justified. We're made righteous. That is like bang in an instant. This stuff is a lifetime of us working it out. Two steps forward. One step's back. Two step Sanctification. It's this, we're already saved and we're not yet fully at the expression of completeness, but we're on a journey. So let's start small. Let's just position ourselves and align ourselves with Jesus being the true north and see what happens. The promises we're blessed. The promises will be satisfied. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for your word, which is alive and living. It's sharper than any sword. It's like a, like a surgeon's scalpel that gets right into the core of our being and is able to dissect the intentions and motivations of our heart and bring truth into those places. And Lord, I thank you that today you have done open heart surgery on our souls exposing some dark spots that come up under the radar of your holiness that we need to work on and sort out. Lord, I thank you that you are so gracious to us, you are so kind to us, that you've given us this free gift of salvation, you've given us your son, you've given us your spirit, you've given us this life. So Lord, we choose to follow you, we choose to take up our cross, we choose to make you the standard not just in some areas, but all areas. We don't just put on a Christian mask, no pun intended, on a Sunday morning, but we live a raw life, warts and all, stumbling forward towards you. Give us the courage to address the areas that your spirit has brought to our attention this morning. Give us the boldness to make sacrifices in the areas of our life that we've held on to as sacred, but really a stumbling box. Hey God, I pray that we would all, everyone in this room, experience divine joy, perfect happiness, satisfaction that can only come from you. Let it flow in us and spill out of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information about our online services, visit c3ch.online.church and come say hi on Facebook and Instagram.